Hey guys, it's Marissa. Welcome back to another episode of Just So We're Clear. And today we're going to be talking about something super important. And in a word, it's boobs. Right, Han? <laughs> That's right. That's a good way to start off this chat. We are talking about boobs, but more specifically, we're going a little deeper into this episode. Um, and we're going on about breast cancer, actually. Yeah. So it's a topic that doesn't exactly. I guess, spark joy in the words of Marie Kondo, but it is something that we all need to confront. And you know us, we don't shy or like step around conversations. We're here to have them. And in the interest of actually last October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it's a topic that we, I guess, glazed over in light of all the COVID news that's been hitting the headlines. I don't think any of us have really paid attention to health issues beyond the immediate pandemic, don't you reckon? For sure. I mean, like, let's talk about that. I think with COVID happening and just being so in our face this year, a lot of us have, I admit, taken a, a second priority to our general checkups. People have associated, you know, just GPs, hospitals, emergency wards with COVID that I think it's safe to say that, you know, all the other big diseases and medical problems had to take a back seat, which sucks, which is why we want to bring the awareness back up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the tricky thing with this topic is that I think all of us have some level of awareness, like the the breast cancer awareness campaign, the famous pink ribbons, we're all really, we're all really familiar with them. And we kind of always have this voice in the back of our head that's like, oh, you know, occasionally check your boobs, check for lumps, that sort of thing. But when it really comes down to it, how much do we actually understand about this disease, how prevalent it is, how much of a risk it is? And more importantly, when we are at risk, like, is it an old people disease or is it actually affecting us at our current stage in life? Exactly. And also breast cancer is one of the most common cancers and the diagnoses are, you know, rapidly increasing all around the world. Like, check out these scary statistics, all right? In Singapore, breast cancer is the most common occurring cancer. And it's accounting for about 17% of cancer deaths between 2011 and 2015. And also in Indonesia, breast cancer cases are growing by the minute. Um, just in 2018, there were 58,000 over cases reported. And in 2040, there are going to be estimated around 89,000 plus, which is a scary amount. Yeah, and just to kind of round off with like a third country, in Malaysia, one in, 20, one in 19 women are at risk of developing the disease in their lifetime. And the average age of patients was 50 years old, but we are about to speak to someone in this episode who was significantly younger than that when she was first diagnosed. And because she caught it early and she was lucky, she was able to recover. Um, and that is Charlene Ko. And what do we know about Charlene? So Charlene is coming up on just a little bit. Uh, Marissa and I had this really amazing chat with her, which we're so excited for you guys to dive into. She is a breast cancer survivor. Not only that, she's a total badass. She is the founder of Breathe Essentials Co., which is a brand specializing in organic essential oils and hand-poured candles, all of which were inspired by her own recovery journey. And I mean, I don't want to kind of cliche this word, 
but she really is an inspiration. Like the way that she's able to tackle this conversation, you know, have grace around it, have humor around it, and just kind of, I don't know, shake up our idea of and the fear that we associate with the big C, cancer. I think the other thing that she did was really address the misconceptions. And as usual, you know, we love a good taboo um, around the topic and basically just kind of reassuring us that, yes, it is a scary it is a scary thing to face. But there is, you know, life after cancer. If you catch it early enough, if you're diligent enough about your health and you find it. That's not the end, like it's not a death sentence and it doesn't have to be. And she also she also myth busts a lot of the misconceptions that we have around the types of risks we're facing, whether it's genetic and what we should be looking out for. Because um, I mean, like, Han, like, be honest, do you do you check your boobs regularly? I mean, after we've got introduced back into this, ep- like this topic, I've been checking them, I feel like every day. <laughs> like, I'm regularly checking these puppies. But before that, um, only during my general checkup. But just by being around this topic, I have talked to my friends about it and all my other girlfriends and even my mom. We've gotten a lot deeper into sharing our views, our thoughts, our relationship to um to breast cancer. And if, you know, and if all if this is what if if we do anything on the podcast, it's to just prompt people to maybe check out things more, go a little deeper, spread the word, talk to their friends and yeah, open up. Also, I love how Charlene shared with us some really real and candid moments about her life after cancer. Things like identifying um, her feminine beauty once again, getting back on the dating apps and how people treat her or random people on the street who go up to her and just say comments about her hair and her um, sporting a pixie look. It's just, yeah, it's just so interesting, you guys. So we can't wait for you to get into this. But not only that, for this episode, though, we did team up with Estee Lauder. And after Charlene, we have a wonderful chat with Margaret Choi, who is the managing director of the Singapore affiliate of the Estee Lauder companies. Right. So Margaret, Margaret's just the boss. <laughs> In a sentence, <laughs> Margaret, Margaret just kind of, she... She's so in tune with this issue that, and she, you could tell how passionate she is about it. And the amount of work that this company is doing to make sure that they offer women the tools, the knowledge, and the resources to basically, hopefully, tackle this disease or like feel a bit more in control of this risk is unbelievable. So she tells us everything about what the company's up to, why they're so passionate about this cause specifically. And then basically how she got involved into the mix. And I mean, like hats off to Estee Lauder, like killing it in terms of the co- like corporate social responsibility game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we stand for that. All right, you guys. Well, enough of us. And let's get to it. Check it out. So joining us on this special episode of Just So We're Clear, we've got Charlene Co in the house. And I said it right before we started recording, but I don't think you can ever have more gratitude in your life. I'll say it again. Thank you so much for being here. And how are you doing today? How's it going? I'm doing great. Um, you know, Christmas is coming. I'm getting busy at work. But yeah, always a good time to always share my journey with anyone who needs inspiration and needs some hope. And that cancer is not a scary thing. Life is still beautiful after cancer. 
Charlene, Marissa and I find your story really inspiring because it really opened our eyes to, I guess, what we would admit to be the typical breast cancer patient or survivor. And um, yeah, because you were so young when you had your diagnosis, yeah, it really just opened our eyes as to how this disease and this cancer can touch and affect all sorts of women at any point in their life. Um, maybe we can start to the basics and you can share your story with us of how old were you when you were first diagnosed and what this, how it all kicked off, I guess. Okay, so I was diagnosed on April the 8th, 2019, which was just last year. Um, I was diagnosed on April the 8th on a Monday and then Tuesday I had to walk into the hospital to get a mastectomy done. And I think what they told me was, you know, the younger you are, um, the your cancer cells spreads more aggressively. So there wasn't any time to waste. On the 9th of April, I watered in. On the 12th was my mastectomy already. So I didn't have time to process. Um, what they found in me on my left boob was about what they would found in a 55-year-old woman who has had cancer for five years. Um, for me, how I found out was actually by chance. I have a history of asthma and I was working out in the gym. And halfway through my session, I kind of felt that, you know, something wasn't right. So I called my asthma doctor up. He scheduled me for a lung CT scan. And it so happened by, I don't know, God's grace, the radiologist just glanced at my left boob and said there was some calcifications there and I had to check it out. And then one thing led to another. I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, between stage zero to one. A lot of people tell me you don't have the breast cancer gene, just the BRCA gene that Angelina Jolie have or, or a lot of females have that runs through generations. I did a cancer genes test. I have zero cancer genes in me. My gene had mutated. So um, currently now, um, you don't have to have the BRCA gene to have breast cancer. Um, the breast cancer I had, the type was a HER2 breast cancer. Um, it is kind of like the new kind of breast cancer that's, that's what I see in a lot of females nowadays. It's a HER2. So every woman has a HER2 gene. Um, it just goes crazy. It has a mind of its own and it starts to mutate and feed up hormones. And that's how you get breast cancer. So a lot of women that I met, um, were pregnant and after they gave birth, um, they kind of thought that they had a, like a milk clot in their armpit. So to, to go backwards a little bit, um, prior to your diagnosis, what was your level of, what was your level of awareness around breast cancer? Like, were you doing regular checks? Um, what were like, how aware were you of the general issue? I think I knew that breast cancer was, very common. I mean, it affects two out of five Singapore, uh, two out of five maybe female cancer cases in Singapore. But I didn't know that um, you didn't have to have the BRCA gene to get breast cancer. That was something that I never knew because, I mean, people tell you BRCA gene, check your boobs. Um, I get that. I, I know all that. But I didn't know that it would happen to me, someone who was young. Um, that hasn't done a single mammogram because the age that, you know, um, that people tell to do, the, all doctors tell to do the mammogram is when you're 40 years and above. Um, so I never did the mammogram. It's only when, you know, that happened that I said that going to go to do the mammogram. Um, but I think awareness about breast cancer, there is awareness to tell you to check your boobs. Um, but there isn't awareness on different types of breast cancer that can occur. I think that for me was something that I found out through the hard way. 
I'm not sure whether you guys have heard of the tattoo breast cancer before. Um, but yes, you don't have to have the BRCA gene to get breast cancer. Yeah, I mean, honestly, no, I had no idea. I I'd heard of the BRCA gene because of the Angelina Jolie coverage, but that was, and I think the extent of my me too, personal me breast, too, my yeah, yeah, my personal breast cancer awareness was basically, you know, check for lumps, check for irregularities, but never again, never to the extent of you should go in for a mammogram. Like I, I, I'm not sure how if you had mentioned how old were you when you were diagnosed. I was 35 when I was diagnosed. So super young. So really young. Yeah. I think it's also this idea that a lot of us have around um, like our lifestyle and breast cancer because you noticed it at the gym, which is just mm. like polarizing to any medical condition. So you were living, you know, a healthy lifestyle. I can imagine that, you know, you know, you had a balanced lifestyle. Yeah. So I guess this would have totally come as, I mean, to say a shock would be an understatement, but could you share with us what was running through your mind when you found out? How how did you process it? <laughs> to be honest, I didn't have time to process it because everything was just such a chop to do, just get rid of the cancer, right? Why, why did I, out of every single female, have to have breast cancer? Um, I was young. I founded a startup. I sold it. I was at the peak of my career. I was looking for a next challenge in life, a next adventure. I was training to be a bar and spin instructor because I really like fitness. And then I didn't know that the next challenge in life had to be cancer. And then the next thing that came to my head was more of what would life be after cancer? Like, how would it be? I knew that I was diagnosed at the early stage. It is very, very curable. But it was more of how would people view me after I had cancer? How would I be able to find a partner? Because I want to have a partner. I want to settle down, maybe have kids, but I want to find somebody to do life with. How would that affect my future life, you know, or future life decisions? So I think those are the two most, um, yeah, I think those are the two things that actually ran through my mind when I was told the three words, you've got cancer. So to reflect between then and now, how has the whole experience of your treatment, the operations you went through actually impacted, you know, the way you live your life and how you see the world at this point in time, you know, it's like, like what, a year and a half down the line? Yeah, um, I think physically I'm still recovering from my mastectomy and also from chemo. Um, although I finished chemotherapy last year in September, almost like a year back. Um, the supposed chemo effects that still lingers, like fatigue, that I still try and fight. I fight with the fatigue every time. Um, because when I did a mastectomy, uh, they took one of my latissima dorsi, which was one of my back muscles, and pulled it forward to construct a new boob. So my left side is really weak. Um, I lost about more than 50% strength on my left side. I can hold a cup on my left hand and then suddenly drop it. Um, so physically, I am still recovering. I think in terms of life perspective, I think... It definitely has changed, right? After being through such a big ordeal, um, I learned when to say no. I used to be a yes person, but now, you know, if it doesn't, if I, if it doesn't sit well with me, I just say no. Um, and just be happy with, with whatever that comes. I think it makes you really reevaluate certain past life choices that, that, that I have, that I had. Um, but also trying to lead life as full as possible. 
I want to I want to ask something because I mean both Hanley and I are very active individuals and we you know we take pride in our physical strength and our physical ability and as you were saying that it it affected your physical strength so much and fitness having been such a big aspect of your life how was that mental adjustment for you in sort of rejigging your perception of what your body could do for you then versus post treatment yeah I can't do a pull up anymore. Um, I can't rock climb anymore. Um, but those were things that I felt that I could do without. As long as I was happy, I was cancer free and healthy. There's still more meaning to life than just that. I think I'd also love to bring up how 2020 has been, I mean, alongside your personal recovery, but then also going through a pandemic. As in, yeah, this has been such a test for so many people out there, just mentally. And I mean, it's really like shaken all of us up. But to add that to your plate with your own personal journey, like, how is it for you? Much of a difference because when I was going through the whole chemotherapy and still seeking cancer treatment, I'll just be home the whole day. I won't be running out. You know, I will wear a mask when I go out. So when the pandemic actually hit, um, I knew a lot of people were kind of whining, saying that they didn't have a life. You know, I'm stuck at home. But I'm like, hey, like, it's a pandemic, right? Stay home is good for you. But I would tell people, why are you complaining? Like, I've lived that life for a year and a half, you know, and, and I'm not complaining about it. <clears throat> I just want to have a chance at survival. And so the other women, it's just a pandemic. Life is not over. You know, there are a lot more things in life that you can still do even though you're at home right it's just something that you just need to write through it and then everything will be okay after a while yeah i think it essentially taught you what the rest of us were always taking for granted because you know i think it's very yeah. typical of all of us who have fairly normal like relatively speaking normal lives to have some kind of inconvenience and feel like oh poor me often forgetting that people are going through far worse and dealing with much heavier. Yeah. So something that I think is really important to highlight as part of your journey is how you've sort of taken matters into your own hands in a sense of finding a sense of community. I know that you reached out and you've made friends with other cancer patients and you've sort of created a group, right? Yes. So, so I joined a breast cancer foundation chat. Um, and I met many, many other indiv uh, individuals and females who were going through breast cancer. I learned as well that the youngest breast cancer diagnosis in females in Singapore, she's only age 21. Um, but other than that, I found four other close girlfriends that we kind of relate because we are all the same age. Um, we are, I think three of us are single and the other two are like married. Um, but we can relate because we face the same insecurities that each other has. You know, we even sometimes compare our boob jobs or mastectomies that we did. <laughs> um, but I think that helped me as well with my whole journey. Um, you know, there's certain things like, you know, why do I feel so fatigued? Or is it, you know, you just, uh, I just talk to my girlfriends. We call ourselves the boob sisters. Uh, and, and yeah, you know, we rely on each other a lot for comfort and support, uh, when times get tough because, you know, it takes one to know one. Um, I've been there. I know what it feels like. I'm not saying that friends and family can't be there to support you, um, but the emotional support is very different. Yeah, of course. 
And what would you actually say in terms of everything you've been through and everything you've understood and learned? What would you say to, you know, younger women who are like we were generally aware of the risk of breast cancer, but not really taking it into our own hands as of yet in terms of monitoring our health to the extent that maybe we should? Mm. Um, I kind of feel that, yes, um, you know, when you you have to check yourself regularly. But I think for me, I... I feel that every woman, whenever you go through a general checkup, your annual general checkup, you should go for a mammogram. Um, early detection is still key. You know, if you can detect it early, it's very, very curable. Breast cancer is one of the world's most researched cancers. Um, and finding a cure is, is, is quite, I mean, it's there. Um, the earlier you are that you discover your, your cancer, it is very, very treatable and you can recover from it. Don't be afraid if anything happens. I know of women who find out that they had breast cancer at stage two and they're too afraid to do anything and become stage three for their survival. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid. Um, there's always help around. I think that's a really reassuring message because I, yeah, I think, I think basically seeing someone like you who has been through it and then come out the other side still strong, still, you know, powering through with new business ideas and pursuing your goals and your ambitions is exactly the message. Cause I think often when we hear the C word, people associate it with like a death sentence and it's just a matter of, well, you know, how are you going to kill time before the rest of it hits you rather than seeing it as, you know, an early diagnosis is an early opportunity to rejig your plan so that you can come out the other side. Yes. I think for me was when, when I told the three words, you've got cancer, I kind of thought that it was a death sentence because I really didn't know what was out there and I didn't have any friends who were around my age that had cancer. I mean, you obviously have, I, I knew of people who had breast cancer, but they were like my mom's friends, um, my friend's mom or like grandmother, you know. So there isn't much awareness that cancer is actually highly treatable, um, that there is definitely still life after cancer. Um, but no matter what happens, you know, you just need to choose yourself and begin again. Um, that's my motto now, um, that I could get through cancer. I think I can get through anything just as hot as cancer. I mean, I, it's pretty badass to beat cancer, let's just say. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you're a strong woman now, like, that's for sure. Um when it comes to relationships and people around you and where you're at now, because there is a misunderstanding when the C word gets brought up, like Marissa says, you know, people don't know how to react because it's people fear it. And when people are uncomfortable, people say the weirdest and most awkward things sometimes. So um, how is it for you in your community and your relationships when you first was diagnosed and what's your attitude around it now? I think for me, for, for what cancer, let's talk about dating, right? So I would be on Tinder, I'll be on like helping bagel. And then whenever I told somebody that I had cancer before, they just disappear because they think that cancer is still kind of taboo. When I told some of my friends or, or, or family that I had the cancer, they kind of treated me differently. Um, like they became very accommodating. Um, but I just wanted to be treated as normal as anybody else. I had cancer, but there was nothing wrong with cancer. 
Santa chose me. I didn't choose it, but I could choose to be with the people that gave me the emotional support that I needed. And one of them was them. It was for them to treat me as normal as possible. It, it, yeah, it goes back down to one aspect of it just being like one aspect of your identity versus the entire thing that defines you, right? Like to have people acknowledge it is something that you've been through and something that you experienced, but not something that fundamentally changes who you are in ways that, you know. Correct, correct. They can define beyond what you put across. Would you say that was like the most frustrating part of the entire experience? Was trying to kind of maintain the strong image of yourself or what was... No, it wasn't. To be honest, that wasn't the... Um, I think for me, the most difficult part wasn't that. Um, I've always been an, a strong person. I think an emotionally strong person. I always know that there's always the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think what frustrated me the most was um, when I had no hair because of chemotherapy. Um, I still used to go shopping out in Orchard Road and, and all grocery shopping and people would come up to me and tell me, have a hope. Do you do have a hope? And I think that re- I felt really insulted because I didn't choose to lose my hair. Have a hope is a great charity. Um, but I think in that circumstances, I didn't choose to do it for a charity. I, I, I had no choice. It just had to go because the chemo drugs will kill your hair cells. Um, so, you know, I would tell him that, no, I, I didn't do that. You know, um, I've got breast cancer. And he said, oh, you don't look like you have cancer. And then what goes through my mind was, so I need to have a cancer look to have cancer. And because I'm on drugs, right, I'm on cancer drugs, I'm frustrated and grumpy. I've got hot flushes. I would reply to them. I said, yeah, but that's how, that's like how I got it. I don't know. And I looked exactly the same as I did three months before just without hair and I think that frustrated me the most and I feel that you know it shouldn't be you have for hope or what you should be to somebody who has no hair it should be saying you are beautiful really help somebody boost their confidence whether they have cancer or not I think for females a lot of females think that our hair defines our femininity but I feel that you know, I, I used to be one of those females that thought that way. I had really long, luscious curls, but now I choose to keep like a pixie haircut. Um, I think a lot of people need to know that, you know, with or without hair, we are still beautiful. With or without hair, we are feminine. Um, it's about, you know, just showing your feelings when you need to be. It's okay to cry if you had a bad day. It's perfectly fine. We are only human. Um, so yeah, that was the most frustrating thing throughout my whole entire journey. And sometimes people still do ask me, why do you have the short haircut? You can fit into a lesbian party. Um, but I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> I think that's hard. Some people have no EQ. So yeah, so I think. Hollywood movies, TV that show you that after you do chemo, you're like frail and skinny, you got no hair and you're puking over toilet bowl. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, I think you don't really get those, you don't get skinny. I put on six kilos when I was on, when I was doing chemo because the steroid made me 
put on six kilos of water. Um, I never threw up. Not once I threw up. Um, and yeah, you know, cancer doesn't have a certain look. And I think a lot yeah. of people need to know that. Yeah, I think that's where so many of us have a really outdated perception of what this disease looks like and how it manifests because of the media we consume and because we don't have these conversations. We don't speak to survivors who can basically turn around and call bullshit and say, uh-uh, like, I, like you wouldn't be able to tell. If I was walking down the street, you wouldn't be able yeah. to tell that I and went I, through this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you made such a good point with how cancer is being represented in the media as this like, yeah, like you said, like frail, like depressed, throwing up, like mm. when you're literally like walking proof that that's not true at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure like, but, but to cover bases, like I'm sure there obviously are people who are going through the disease who do face that. But I think it's just to understand that this is a disease that manifests itself in very, very diverse ways. So we can never really categorize people. We can't really, we can't really feel like we know what we're dealing with when it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. And like you said, just with the genetic example, we have to keep looking out for new ways that we, we might be able to be diagnosed with it or be able to avoid it altogether through, you know, constant checks and general awareness. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And and also just having access to people like yourself who are open to share your experience to break all these taboos. Because that's the thing. People are so discomfort are uncomfortable with what they don't understand. And that's where it breeds these kind of like eye-rolling worthy comments from strangers. <laughs> like you know, um, but the more we put it out there and the more that people just learn and have more awareness, I think it'll just create a stronger sense of community when someone we love or someone we know does get diagnosed with something like this. Correct. I think for me, I don't really advocate about checking your breast uh, or getting regular checks because we all know that, right? We all know that. We've been taught that since young. Um, I advocate more about life after cancer um that there is still a recovery journey after my cancer treatment ends being cancer free doesn't mean i'm 100 percent healed i am healed physically but i think on the emotional and mental aspect of things there's still a long way more to go um i have a therapist with me too as well um and you know i think people need to learn that even though you're cancer free doesn't mean that your your journey stops there there is still a long journey ahead of you to recover emotional humans. So true. And by the way, like, we love that you say that you have a therapist, Marissa, and I also go to therapy. It's like the best. <laughs> Woo -woo, shout, shout out, out to therapy. our therapist. <laughs> <laughs> it is the, the best. best thing, right? A lot of people are going towards the whole mental wellness. I, I strongly advocate about mental wellness. Um, I think in the next two, three years to come, um, I do hope to still be advocating fiercely about breast cancer, um, that life is still beautiful after cancer. Um, cancer is not a death sentence. You almost choose yourself to begin again. And you can also choose the way you want to live your life. I mean, if we wanted a positive message, oh, that was I it. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> be light, be loved, be positive, and be more than you ever thought that you can become. 
Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Chills. Chills. That was so beautiful. Thanks, Charlene. <laughs> Okay, guys, so now we have joining us the managing director of the Estee Lauder companies in Singapore, Margaret Chui. Margaret, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I mean, especially motivated after listening to Charlene. I think I thought to myself, wow, what a brave young lady to have uh, gone through that and stay so positive. I think that's half the battle won when you talk about uh, cancer surviving. Um, she truly um, resonates, you know, that that um, that wholesomeness and that um, positive attitude. So, really, kudos to her. I think um, it's uh, it's motivating for me, especially when you know you talk about um, raising awareness for breast cancer or doing fundraising. I mean, she's probably one of the reasons why we keep going. So how did you, because I know through reading and researching your background that you're generally involved in the philanthropy space. How did you come to choose the Pink Ribbon Project as something that you wanted to devote extra attention to? And how is Estee Lauder working with the Pink Ribbon Project to offer that support? Well, the Estee Lauder Company's Breast Cancer Campaign was founded by the late Mrs. Evelyn Lauder uh, 28 years ago. And I think that... um, since then, it has become, you know, the company's uh, main um, social cause that we kind of promote every year in October. And I think that in the early days when she kind of started this campaign, you know, we started to look at the campaign as raising awareness for breast cancer. You know, in those days, breast cancer, I guess the topic of cancer, not just breast cancer, was taboo to many women. I mean, today, somewhat, even in Singapore, I think it is still taboo. Um, people don't really want to talk about it. So I think the awareness part of the campaign certainly was uh, very helpful in trying to champion the cause. I think later on, you know, we, we changed from um, sort of raising awareness to kind of fundraising and into research. And that's what we've done in the last year as well. So um, it has remained a very passionate cause of mine through the years because I truly believe that, you know, we can help um, women who were diagnosed with breast cancer, whether we fund through research or whether we we kind of promote the awareness um, through early detection, for sure. So it's, it's one of those cancers that is curable, like Charlene has said, and we really truly need to um, promote that even in Singapore. I think it's really interesting that you highlighted that there is still a taboo in Singapore when it comes to breast cancer. So if part of, you know, your goal is to help uh, raise awareness around it, as well as women's health, how are you breaking these taboos? And has there been sort of a pushback with our societal beliefs around the big C? So a couple of years ago, um, you know, I was out in Orchard Road during the breast cancer campaign giving out pink ribbons. I mean, the number of people that actually walk around you, avoid you or kind of shun you because you want them to wear a pink ribbon um, was surprisingly um, um, difficult for me to accept because people felt like, oh, you know, if I wear that, that pink ribbon, what does it signify? So I think, you know, fast forward years, later and today I think a lot more people are aware of it I think the more we talk about it the more we bring up this subject the more we normalize 
the, the conversation. And I think that's how um, I see it. I think we, we really need to um, uh, break this taboo even more. Um, the younger generation, especially you know, people like you and Marissa, I think it really, really helps if you talk about it to your friends, you know, to your family, to to even your parents, you know, and so forth. I think that when you spread that message and say, hey, listen, you know, did you do your mammogram, you know, and, and that conversation becomes uh, a topic that people are aware of and a reminder, I think that really helps. So many ways to break the taboo. And I think that, you know, we start off with the young generation like yourself. Yeah, 100%. and I think it's so interesting because you think about you think about our general, I guess, public conversation around breasts, and it always falls under two distinct categories that are both labeled with like a little bit of excitement, a little bit of shame, because it's either as a sexualized body part. And, you know, there's plenty of people who like to talk about how sexy boobs are. And then there's the other side, which is about, oh, you know, breastfeeding. But then when we consider the health of that body part, like you said, suddenly we don't want to talk about it. Suddenly it's not, it's not something we want to address. It's not something we want to look at. And I guess, I guess it's sort of similar to women's ovarian health, you know, uterus health, reproductive health overall. There's always this weird double-edged sword when it comes to having this public conversation. So I think it does take a massive company like Estee Lauder to back it and say, if you won't talk about it, we will. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's, it's not just women talking about women's breast cancer. I mean, the men have to do it to the husbands, the brothers, you know. And I think in our company, when uh, where we're concerned, you know, even the men, you know, wear um, the pink ribbon, they champion the cause, you know, they talk about it, you know, men can get breast cancer too. So I think that, you know, um, it is really, uh, uh, like you said, you know, the... Um, the you know, when we talk about boobs, you know, whether it's the sexualization of it or not, um, there is this aspect, you know, the overall health, you know, it is part of your overall health. Um, and I think that we need to truly, truly, um, you know, take care of our health. You know, we as women, you know, we have it. I, I'm not going to say it's worse. I think we as women, we have a lot of um, checkups that we need to go through. You know, when you have, uh, you know, a child, you know, you go through, um, different phases of your life, your bodily changes and so forth. So I think, you know, it's part of that whole care, self-care that we need to give ourselves. I think you touched on something that's especially critical for people to hear, and that is breast cancer is not solely affecting women. It affects men as well. And in not having this conversation, we also leave a lot of men vulnerable to the very same disease. And so again, like that's another conversation we need to force open because men are really vulnerable to something that they don't even conceive of as a threat if they're not made aware of it being something that they should check as well yeah Yeah, absolutely but also touching on something else that what you just said about it's true as women all through our different life stages when I look at my younger friends when I talk with my older friends my aunts and my mothers there's just so much complexities around our bodies it's like, it's like every new chapter. Oh, a new one, you know, from what I hear and what I gather. Um, just from kicking off our, you know, when we got in touch with Estee Lauder and we knew we were going to do a breast cancer awareness episode, something which Marissa and I 
admittedly, when we started talking about it, we we got very real with each other. And I was like, do you get checkups? Like, what do you know about it? And we were like, wow, we we know the minimal. Like, that's yeah. what we know. And we it know prompted squeeze, me. Like, it prompted yeah. me to hit up all my group chats with my girlfriends to be like, do you guys go get checkups? What's your story? What's your relationship with breast cancer? Like, are you aware? And even just from that, the, you know, the power of questions, the power of conversations opened up so many great chats with me and my girlfriends. Um, and that is awareness that was kicked off just from us. And I guess on a larger scale for anyone else who's listening, maybe they're inspired to kick off this chat in their group with their girlfriends. But in terms of getting involved and raising awareness around it, how would you advise us to maybe take it a step further? What can we do? I think, you know, um, educate yourself on what breast cancer uh, means, you know, and how you can survive it, early detection. There's a lot of literature out there. I mean, the Breast Cancer Foundation in Singapore, they're very good advocates, you know, they do a lot of work, good work, you know, around um, raising awareness. I mean, you can pick up pamphlets easily, you know, even online now, okay, you can research. I think that's the first thing we need to do uh, for ourselves, you know, for the self-care. You know, just make sure that, you know, you do that checkup every month. You know, whether it's in the shower, it's actually quite easy. If you make it a habit, it's quite easy if you know how to do the checkup. And after that, you know, when you look at it, you know, our campaign is is in October every month. It's, it's the Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But I, I think that beyond that, it's not just about that month. You know, we're trying to, in Singapore, in fact, um, do internal uh, fundraising I mean, we'll do very simple things, you know, probably starting in January where, you know, you know, for, you know, put in a coffee, you know, um, an espresso coffee, donate an amount. And, you know, we're probably going to channel through all the funds throughout the year to that October month where, you know, it will culminate in a bigger donation. Probably, you know, if we continue supporting the uh, Singapore General Hospital in their cancer research um, they've made significant inroads in cancer research, and I think it's a really worthwhile cause. So I think if you not just taking care of yourself, but if you want to volunteer, you want to um, get involved, there are many ways to get involved. The Breast, Breast Cancer Foundation, this year we couldn't do it. I mean, they do that walk every year. I'm not sure whether you're aware, you know, where people dress up in pink. You know, you see, you know, the men having fun, they're wearing bras. I, I like to see that. Um, <laughs> going forward because you know what it, it, it is actually truly not just raising awareness but breaking that taboo you know i mean it, we you know we in singapore we're relatively probably conservative society you know as much as i would like to say we've, we've progressed a lot but a lot of things we don't really talk about so i think in that sense you know the breaking the taboo we've done a lot of participation in that usually we do the breast cancer foundation walk this year, we probably couldn't do it, but hopefully next year we can. And I think that, you know, amongst your friends, you know, every time you, you, you hear something or you do some fundraising, pick, pick that up. I mean, the SA Lauder companies, we have a whole um, uh, La Mer clinic, SC Lauder and Bobby Brown. We actually put up pink products every year. Um, there's special editions and a portion of it is donated to um, charity. So we, we choose, for example, to donate it to the Breast Cancer Foundation, you know, and then we have a lot of activities that we also do. Uh, we partnered with uh, Superga, you know, uh, um, Little Miracles um, or Minor Miracles. Um, so 
I think all those things really help um, raise awareness. So we do part, partner with a lot of other uh, companies, you know, that, that uh, are more than willing to participate. So I think when it comes to that uh, campaign month or nearing that campaign month, I think there's a lot more that we can do. I mean, hearing Charlene's story is motivating enough, right? I mean, I think that, you know, all of us have a part to play. Yeah, I think it's one of the, Charlene is one of those special cases where once you put like an identifiable face to the story, to what is otherwise just, you know, this big issue, but we can't, it's not really tangible because everyone's talking about it, but none of us, frankly, on on our personal levels are truly aware of the realities of it until we speak to people like yourself and people like Charlene who are able to break it down for us in a way that we can digest. Yeah, I think through the years, we've actually done quite a fair bit of different activities. You know, um, there was one year where we did, um, we, we had an art session for breast cancer survivors. And it was really touching to see that, you know, they were actually all completing a piece of artwork, you know, each of them. Uh, and that art piece went up, I think, in the lobby, hopefully still there in the Breast Cancer Foundation uh, uh, premises. So I, I think that looking and and seeing you know how these breast cancer survivors have been so brave you know um truly uh charlene plus many of the ones that met personally too you know i have friends who are breast uh, survivors of breast cancer my mother um she had breast cancer very late in her life you know i went through uh the chemotherapy with her, you know, and all the physiotherapy that she had to do. So I, I understand the mental um, um, state of a, a cancer survivor. I may not, I mean, I may not be in their shoes, but I can see, you know, how um, it affects them, you know, as a woman, you know, as, uh, you know, with all those questions that come to their mind, you know, will I survive this? What do I do? So I think, if we as the society, I think if we kind of group together, you know, gather together, support each other, I think there's a lot that we can do. You know, I think that the people who are out there, um, you know, the breast cancer survivors, they truly appreciate it. I mean, we even have a support program that um, one of our ex-staff um, members, um, she does go to the um, hospitals um, and she does, whether it's Breast Cancer Foundation, she does. Um, help the women um, do their makeup because you know after you do chemo um, your skin changes it's not the same skin and you go through various stages whether it's drying out and all that so she actually teaches them how to um, put on their makeup you know to look their best so it's the it's, it's the feel good look good program that she does and I think you know there are many ways I mean if you're good at makeup you can volunteer to to join her in one of her, her, her episodes that she goes down and I can see the joy that she brings to the breast cancer survivors. So many, yeah. many ways to get involved. I think I think that's an excellent idea because one thing that I've gathered as well from Charlene's chat and and just with ours is, I mean, as a woman and your sense of your you know your feminine identity, your your attachment to beauty, all of that just gets so revisited and, and with such new eyes. Like you totally reprioritize all these things and. That conversation itself, like beauty um, with cancer, after cancer, we, yeah, I think that's something that we should definitely go down and look into because it's just, it's just so big. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, Margaret, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us on our podcast. My pleasure. And uh, we can't wait to just see how the next year carries on for the Estee Lauder companies and their support in raising awareness as well as their support with the Pink Ribbon Project. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for inviting. And for sure, when it comes to the next round of the Breast Cancer Awareness Program, we will include you in our activities. Oh, we'll We'd be there. That. We'd Without love that. Without a shadow that. of a doubt. We, we can just be like cheerleaders on the side. Marissa and I make very good hype men. Yeah. So <laughs> if you just need people on the side being like, yeah, yeah you got this. We got yeah. that. <laughs> as as I, I will admit, I am not the best at makeup, but I'm more than happy to cheer them on as they're getting their makeup done to make them feel even extra special. <laughs> We're just in the background like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you look amazing. Go. <laughs> That's good okay. To know. okay. Thanks so much, Margaret. Okay, thank you. You're Margaret. most welcome.